listening to the Uloft Podcast, presented by United IUP, a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania, who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others, while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world. Well, you never really know what's going to happen on the Uloft podcast. And Were you recording that one? Uh, no, I, oh, okay. I wasn't. I thought about it, but then it <laughs> got a little bit. Um, so, Michael uh, Gill, since you're new onto this, Michael always records before we actually start just to catch usually whatever Kendall and I are talking about. Um, and for a couple weeks in a row, it was like very questionable oh, if you didn't have context kind of you would be like oh this is i would just sit here over the button and wait for the most inopportune time where enough context was removed and then i would hit record <laughs> so if i talk about how i love trump and or biden now's the moment yeah yeah this would be it uh so i'm here with caleb fugate and gilbert ackerman and this is the you love podcast okay so we're gonna jump in with our wait first... you might be asking who is gilbert ackerman he is the youth pastor at Summit Church. I was trying to think of something clever to say about like just being a guy off the street, but nothing came to mind, unfortunately. <laughs> we found him at the polls, and he said he had lots of opinions, so we grabbed him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, li- I like that. That's a good story. We're recording this on Tuesday, by the way. Go vote. Well, it'd be yeah. too late now by the time you, you hear this. You should yeah, have voted. This and is, if this you didn't, we, you should feel guilty. This is where we shame you for not voting. <laughs> um. Okay, so even if you're under 18, shame on you. <laughs> I want to know what do you do when someone is trying to discourage you in ministry? How do you separate discouragement from constructive criticism? It's mm. a great question. I mean, because I think that a lot of times we start a ministry. This happens a lot when you try to start a ministry, I've noticed. Uh, especially at like medium to large size churches, probably happens at all size churches. Um, when you go to start a ministry, a lot of times you try to get people on board with it. Um, but they're just usually so busy that Mm -hmm. they kind of tell you, Hey, you know, if you want to start this, go and do your own thing. Um, and it kind of has a tone of like, yeah, it's probably not going to work, but all the best. (laughs) Godspeed. Uh, Yeah. So is this, is this the, the, like, hey, I want to start a food pantry out of our church. Is that kind of the context of this? Or is this like... Yeah, it could be something like, like uh, you know, at Summit, we use the Serve app. And mm-hmm. so that kind of democratizes the ability to it's a good start... good choice for voting day. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Let's see how many of those we can throw in here. It turns, it turns serving into a democratic republic. Um, <laughs> or I guess the other question, or you have someone who thinks they have particular gifts to serve in a particular way, but maybe they don't. And you have to have a hard conversation about that. Right. Cause that happens too. In fact, I actually had a conversation with, um, uh, uh someone in the Methodist church, um, who she, so we offer classes to, uh, laity, which are people who aren't clergy. So the people who sit in pews, um, we offer classes so that they um, can learn about history, polity. They can serve as preachers in pulpits and fill pulpits and stuff like that. <clears throat> and there's this one woman who has a lot of giftings, but not in the things that she is trying to pursue. And it's like, okay, so how do we have a conversation yeah. that is, um, you have giftings, just not in these. So stop trying to pursue these and instead pursue the things that maybe God actually has 
for you. Yeah, and right? let me let me ask another question. Are we answering this from a like I as a leader am overseeing someone kind of like in your situation, yeah, yeah. trying to give advice, or like I am a person trying to engage with this and I'm trying to discern whether or not my leadership is being like they're critiquing me correctly or incorrectly. Let's, Do you know yeah, what I mean? let's look at it from like a college student's perspective even. Say like you're uh, involved in a college ministry like United and you want to do a little bit more and you want to serve more, uh, but you want to serve in a way that's maybe auxiliary to the actual Unite to the actual uh, uh, service that is done on Tuesday right. nights. And so you come forward and you ask the leadership, hey, uh, what do you think if I did this thing where I, let's say I went and visited nursing homes and read the Bible to them? Um, and the leaders were kind of like, eh, great, go for it. You know, yeah, like, it's like, a really funny specific <laughs> analogy, Michael. Are you thinking about doing that? Is that on your heart and mind? Is that... Uh, not exactly. I don't know where it came from. I think I, I think I read about it somewhere. Um, but here's the thing that I've noticed. Most new ministries, they don't do well right away. Like they tend to, it's like they tend to struggle. Um, it's not like you blow up overnight kind of oh, thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like you have a lot of support overnight. Um, and how do you look at this without feeling discouraged? And you know, maybe, maybe like Caleb said, you can see just obviously that someone is not serving in a way that is in alignment with their gifting. Right. And then you tell them that, that to me is constructive criticism. Right, right. But how do you prevent from receiving it as discouragement? Well, I mean, one, be as tactful as you can, but two, you can't control how other people receive things. Ultimately, that's up to them, right? So... As much as I can say something with tact and care and kindness and love, that doesn't mean it will be received as a statement with tact, care, kindness, and love. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, so you can't control that. I, I do think, um, so, you know, you were talking about United and the example with uh, um, like care homes and whatnot, I, I, especially for early on in ministries or especially with a ministry that is already so particularized, right? So United is a college and young adult ministry where we're trying to reach college students and young adults. So doing anything that isn't serving that purpose would be kind of silly, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Like, um, like aimed at the wrong demographic. Yeah, right, maybe. right. So I think, and this is something that we tried to do with United um, as a leadership. It's like, especially early on that first year, that second year, we're now in year three. Are we in year three of this? No, we're in year two and a half of this at this point. I don't know. How long have we been doing this? It, it went in the middle of COVID. So it feels like an eternity oh, yeah. that we've it's been like, doing yeah, this. Like, it feels like we're about thing. to cel celebrate our 25th anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we started, so we started July of 2020. So we're a year and a couple months in, or two years and a couple months into this. Cause it's 2022. Yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, we're still a new ministry. I would say we've got our grounding at this point. Um, but if someone had come to us and said, I want to do this and this thing, it's like, we only have so many volunteers. We only have so much um, manpower, so to speak, to accomplish the goals and tasks that we need to. And so I think a healthy conversation, especially from leadership, and if you're, if you're someone who's like wanting to volunteer and wanting to serve, one of the things you need to do is ask yourself, um, like what is the purpose and vision of the ministry that you want to participate in and get in line with that 
um, or find another ministry that is in line with what you are doing. I don't want to discourage you from doing, uh, if you want to go and read hymns to uh, older people that are sickly. Read hymns. You don't even sing them. Well, maybe you're you like don't know how to sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't sing. You're like, I'll just read you them. <laughs> or maybe they can't hear, so it's it doesn't like spoken really word yeah, for 70-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, find a part or avenue of a church that is doing that. But, you know, for such particularized ministry like United, it's like, if you want to do something new, and we don't want to discourage you from being inventive and entrepreneurial um, in any way, especially when it comes to ministry, because that's actually can be the lifeblood of a ministry. But it's got to be aimed in the right direction. So it's like, if you want to start something new, wonderful. We want to encourage you to do it. And in fact, we'll support you and give you resources and send you people if it furthers the purpose of whatever that ministry is. So it's got to be in line with kind of the vision of what has been set up for that, I think, first of all. Yeah. So uh, there was something that came to mind, Caleb, as you're saying this, um, that I had thought through before. I've had people come up to me wanting to befriend um, the people who are involved in a ministry at the level of pastoral leadership. And what I tell them is that but they kind of want to befriend them outside of the ministry. Like they mm -hmm. just want to hang out. Um, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. And Gil, I'm interested in your opinion on this too. Um, what I've said to them is if you want to get involved at that level or befriend someone at that level, you need to get plugged in with the ministry. And it's not that, you know, the pastor is like, Hey, I really only care whether or not you're involved in the ministry. It's just that the pastor's busy. Like right. he's there all the time. Like the, the, the pastoral leadership, they're always involved in that thing. And so the greatest avenue to becoming friends with them is by getting involved in that thing. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes a proximity along with, thing. It's like right. where I'm at and the more we hang out, the more likely I'm more inclined I am to invite you over to my house for dinner. Yeah. <clears throat> the, um, the second thing that I wanted to ask was... Gil, you're always welcome over to my house for dinner. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we did go, go get Thai food. Do you know, so fun fact, that Thai food place you took me, I went back the next day and got the exact same thing. Yeah? Steph and I had like a little like a little date lunch thing, That's and I was amazing. like, I'm the exact same thing. <laughs> uh, the red curry chicken on level five is... That's a classic. Really mm. good. Um, <laughs> we just made everyone hungry for Thai food. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad thing. So we talked a little bit about discouragement on the out on the outset of a ministry let's say you've been doing a ministry or you've been doing a project for ministry or for the church or you've been trying to serve in a certain way for like a year and it just doesn't seem to be picking up mm -hmm. but you you feel called to this thing you feel that it has value it's just not gaining traction when do you know when to give up okay i have i have a lot of thoughts on this one so um I will start with this philosophically. I had this said to me when I was early in ministry. So I think it's really good advice, but it's not from my own brain. It's just what someone else told me is they said that whenever you're doing ministry, especially when you're just starting out, like if you haven't ever been involved or done anything like that before, the most important thing that you're doing is not the what or the where, but it's who that you're under. Like you could be working in the wrong kind of ministry in the wrong kind of like location, like maybe you're more rural, but you're in the city or vice versa, but having a good who that you're constantly learning from and growing from and is good support staff, like, like to you as you're trying to grow, I guess support staff's a weird word. Like they're, they're able to be a support system for you as you're trying to grow and learn is going to be much healthier for you spiritually in the long run. Um, so I think assuming this person has the right who I just like, if you don't have the right who I would say, find the right who 
that you can learn from and grow from. But assuming that person has that, if you are in a place and you're serving and you're discouraged because maybe it's not growing the way that you want, you don't have the control the way that you want, or you know, maybe you've just suffered a lot of personal, emotional kind of setbacks in the last year. Like there's some things didn't work out the way you wanted to. And you're like, I'm starting to lose vision or focus for this. My personal advice from what I can see in scripture is that you keep doing the last thing that God told you to do until he explicitly tells you to do something otherwise. I think the tricky part of discouragement is you want, like whenever you're feeling frustrated at what's going on in your ministry, like, I just think I'm going to stop and you don't ever go to something else that you feel called to, you're just like, I'm going to stop doing this. And we saw this at COVID, right? We saw a lot of people who were just involved in serving who then stopped serving and never went into anything else, never did anything else. And now they're actually not even really connected to the church. They're like, yeah, I watch mm-hmm. online, yeah, but they're, they're not living in community. They're not They're not tithing. They're not serving. They're not trying to make a difference in their community. They're just kind of like they're watching online. Um, and if that's you listening, I don't mean to at you, but I do think there is something that God like asks of us whether we're like whatever season of life we're in, whatever age to like be involved in a local community and to make a difference that way. And so like, unless you feel like you have something very clear that you're going to and the spiritual mentors and spiritual peers that are sharpening in your life affirm that, then I think you're doing it wrong. Um, And I will just say this, I won't go into my whole story here, but there was a period of my life where I did five years of kids ministry and I am not a kids ministry guy. But I did it because it was the right who it was. It was like a good support system for me. I didn't really love the area that I was in. I didn't really love the ministry that I was doing. I felt like there was a lot of different points of discouragement and changes and things we had to do. But I felt God kind of speak me to speak that to me, which I hated at the time. Hot take. I hate (laughs) I I, at times I was like, I loathe everything about this. But God spoke it to me. My mentors in my life and my friends, my spiritually mature friends, not like the ratchet ones. You know what I mean? Like actually said, like, Gil, I still think you kind of need to be here and lean into this. I think God's trying to work through you in your weakness more than your strengths. And you need to let God kind of do that. And so I think like if you're discouraged with where you're at, it actually might be the sign that you're doing exactly what you need to be doing. And God's trying to teach you something, but you probably need good mentors and good peers to help affirm that. Sorry, that was a lot, but that was my long spiel. And and I think, so I've seen a lot of this as of late, um, especially with people our age and younger, this idea of, I must be doing the right thing because I'm getting so much pushback and it seems like Satan's working against me, right? Mm -hmm. Sorry, I've got something in my throat. But, um, right, so I I started this ministry and all of these bad things started to happen. Bad things. I'm using air quotes. I just realized you can't see me using air quotes. (laughs) Um, Air quotes, bad things happening to you, right? And so we assume... I must be doing the right thing because Satan is attacking me, right? And we are quick to associate bad things happening when we do something good as Satan trying to get in the way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, maybe, um, but maybe not. And it takes a very, 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 very discerning spirit, which I rarely have, um, to be able to discern, oh, maybe maybe it is. You know, it could very well could be. Um but I think we do that as a way to say, to legitimize ourselves in our ministry, even maybe though, even though, or in anything, even though it might not be something we actually should be legitimizing, right? Um, we use Satan attacking us, saying, I must be doing God's work <clears throat> because Satan's attacking me. And yeah, it's which like, is funny that people think Satan himself yeah, yeah. is like 
in it's your house causing your garbage disposal <laughs> not to work and you're like man what an attack from satan right like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's what i'm saying important things he's working on i'm sure he's not omnipotent right he's like not the, omniscient. it's like, the devil behind every bush kind of mentality um and it's just i think it's actually very per pervasive because i see people like posting this all the time as like a, a way to hype themselves up it's like man i must be dumb on fire for god because satan's attacking me and it's like ah maybe I think he has better things to do. Now, this is interesting. <laughs> Maybe. And is... I, it could be, but it also could be God trying to put things in your way to say you're going the wrong direction. Or maybe, like you were saying. Or maybe it's just even some things God wants to work out in you. Sometimes the people who post that, this is my hot take, sometimes the people who post that are people that have struggles controlling their emotional stability in times of turmoil and take the emotional instability like oh the the fear and the anxiety yeah, yeah, yeah. and the depression and these things not that those things aren't real and those things don't happen to us but like the bible is clear that like peace is a choice and like you can pursue the rest of god in the midst of those yeah. and sometimes people do that as a way of trying to like psych themselves back into it emotionally when i think that maybe god's just even trying to speak to you emotionally and say hey maybe you shouldn't let your you shouldn't let this thing that's making you anxious feel that extreme and you should pursue God and right. learn how to learn how to control that. And again, as someone who's even struggled with depression, I'd say that not insensitively. I'm not saying if you have anxiety, it's just because you're a piece of crap. I understand that there's things going on there. <laughs> but like I do I do say that like you have control, you have agency. Right. And I right, think right. oftentimes God is trying to speak to you and saying, like, hey, you have the ability to overcome this. Yeah. Let me work through you and show you how Is there spiritual warfare going on? Yes. I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Is it Every piece of spiritual warfare that is happening in the universe aimed at you specifically, probably not. And even if it was, not probably definitely. Not. <laughs> and even if it was, does that mean you still can't choose, like you were saying, to seek after God in the midst of it? Yeah. Yes. But we use it to just like legitimize our grind, so to speak. It's like Satan's after me. I got to double down. And it's like, or maybe let go. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's where I think a good mentor will help you to start. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. That discerning spirit is so necessary. And I don't even have it. I need people to tell me when I'm doing it. Yeah. So uh, there's a, a high priest um, in Acts. Uh, his name oh, is, I thought you were uh, going to say that you know. I was like, that's still a terminology they use? The high no, no, no. priest of the Catholic Church? Isn't that the Pope? Okay. Sorry. Anyways. In, um, in Acts chapter, I forget what chapter, um, his name's Gamaliel, um, and uh, a bunch of the Jewish leaders come together and are upset because Peter's going around, or Paul, I don't remember which. Gosh, I should know this story better if I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, the line that he says is the most important part, and they're trying to figure out if this is something from God. And uh, Gamaliel gets up and he says, um, if it's from God... Um, if it's not from God, it'll end, right? But if it is from God, I don't want to be the one to get in the way of that, right? And he's like, ultimately, I'm just going to let God be in control of the situation, which I think is a wise place to stand. It's like, if you're not sure whether something is going to work out or not, just be patient in the midst of it. And if it doesn't work out, ultimately, you can maybe say, okay, maybe God didn't want this to work out. Or if it does work out, it's like, clearly this is the gift of like gift of grace from God for me and all the people that are participating in that. But I think patience is part of that mm -hmm. instead of like doubling down on a grind, mm -hmm. but that's kind of what our culture is up to these days. So, okay. So we've gotten to something like an answer here, I think. Um, we didn't answer yet with all that talking. <laughs> I'm just kind of talking out of my, <laughs> well, well, so, okay. So to summarize this for the listener, it sounds like there is danger in being the kind of person who comes up with a heresy and then is persecuted 
pers- or is like you know roundly condemned for the heresy and then they say oh no i'm being persecuted for righteousness sake and then yeah, they yeah, just yeah. keep going and they keep pursuing and they keep doubling down so there's that danger and then there's also the danger of uh, you know, as soon as you face any kind of discouragement or any kind of uh, constructive criticism, just, just closing the door. And so that's yeah. why I think what Gil said was wise about pay attention for the next open door. Uh, because if it's God moving in you, moving in your situation, and you really are meant to stop doing this thing, chances are the next thing's on the horizon. Yeah. It's not already yeah. there. I mean, I don't think that it would be, I suppose there are certain edge cases where a person just needs to step back from ministry and kind of take a, take a break. But, um, if, if, if you're, if the thing that you're doing is not, if your spiritual authorities aren't looking at that thing and being like, Hey, this really isn't that good. Right. Um, and you're just discouraged, look for the open door before you shift gears. Which means if you don't have spiritual authorities in your life, you need them. And I think so many, like I, you know, I think of when I was a college student, it's like I didn't, I had a pastor that I was kind of loosely connected with that was a spiritual authority, but I didn't have anybody. Yeah. Right. So you need to find people that can speak into your life um, and give you guidance who are, have maybe crossed the threshold of most things that you will encounter in your season of life. Yeah. And And I I, think that's so necessary. And just, just to piggyback on that, it it says this in Proverbs 15, 22, it says plans fail where there is no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So whether you're in a spot where you're like, are feeling discouraged in ministry, or you're like, maybe do I find like a, a new spot? Where do I go? If you make that decision in isolation, you're, you're more than likely going to fail. Yeah. Like even, even get me, get me on this. Even if you are in the wrong spot and you know that you are confidently in the wrong spot and that you need to go do something else, you need to be able to have advisors in your life that can speak to that. And like people above you, people beside you, right? Like if you don't have a mentor, go pursue finding a good mentor. Like that's on you. Take some ownership and go chase after that. And then like find some other people who can give you spiritual feedback that are like kind of on the same level, chasing God the same way you are and like get them to give some thoughts. Because if you don't have those people advising you, you might even be correct in your analysis that I need to leave. But what you're going into next and why you're going into it is a mystery still. Yes, it's it's a mystery, but you're also, you're probably going to fail. Do you know what I mean? And I don't think that that's God's will for you. God's not doing that despite you. I think it's just God created infrastructure with us socially in the body of Christ as a church to operate and discern his will in a little bit of like, not just an individual way, but a community way. Well, and I think the danger of not con- not um, considering the counsel of others is you might think that whatever you're in is just awful and you just need to do anything to get out of it. It could be very well the case that you're just hopping from the frying pan and into the fire though in those yeah. scenarios without, it's like you might think that you just need to quit and get done with your ministry and maybe you do, but without the right counsel, you could go into the wrong door yeah. Um, and hop into a fire instead of hop into the thing that oh, God wants for you. Man, can I just talk about I know, Michael, you have other questions. Can I just say one more thing? Go for I'm it. I'm so sorry. So I this is the new guy on the podcast taking up all the time talking. That's great. Everyone. So like, I think I think another thing is if you're feeling discouraged because you feel like your gifts aren't being used, I think that's something that millennials and Gen Zs really value is entering into an environment where what I bring to the table is uniquely being used to be able to make a difference. I think if you are looking for a ministry to solve, to scratch that specific itch and that specific desire, I actually don't think, like if that's the motive, then I, then I think you're probably misguided. And I would say even sight unseen, my inclination would be to say, I think you probably need to stay where you're at because life isn't necessarily, I don't think our walk with Christ is about us getting to do what we want to do the way we want to do it, 
and use our gifts the way we want to. It's right. letting God use it, use us where we're at to accomplish his kingdom purposes. So like right. if, if you're out there and you're a college student and you're involved in like the kids ministry at your church and you're like, ah, it just kind of sucks. I don't know. It's not really using me. I feel like I'm supposed to be doing worship. Like I'm supposed to be doing preaching in youth. It, it feels like it always coincides with stage ministry. Like I want to yeah, be yeah. on stage. I don't want to be doing disciple making. I want to get the attention. But I would say if you if you are chasing after your gifts being used, that is probably a, a should be a yellow flag to you to say I don't think you should be pursuing that. I think if you pursue Christ and you pursue discipleship making, God will automatically use you right. where you're gifted. And if He's not using you where you're gifted, He's using you in your weakness, which yeah. even stinking Paul says like is really 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 good for us. And Christ will be made known in our weakness. Right? And so Paul. it's a win-win-win-win, yeah, yeah. no matter what, or, as long as you pursue Christ. you know, another avenue to which you can pursue that is, even though it might not fit your giftings, go to where there is need, and yes. God could Huge. probably still use you. Yep. Right? So if it's like, we need help setting up chairs, it's like, and we got nobody to do it, and you have gifts that are something way different than setting. I mean, no one has gifts to set. It's not a gift for setting up chairs. But, uh, dude, you know. I don't know. In youth group, there's <clears throat> those dudes that could carry like eight <laughs> chairs at once. I was not gifted that way. I was like a four chair kind of guy maxed out. So that's because you didn't. I didn't have, get girlfriends you didn't have in high an school. In, yeah, why. yeah. You didn't have a love interest. That's why. I, at the time. <laughs> no, I had plenty of love <laughs> okay. interests. I just wasn't very strong. <laughs> but the, I mean, that's such a. Stop looking for the particular niche for you and instead just look for the need and show up and God could probably use your gift in that somehow. Okay, so I'm going to play the other side of the ball on this oh, no. for a minute. He does love to do this. Um, and I'm going to say that there are people who are hearing that who have two points of contention. One is, and I want to know, I want to know how you would speak to those points of contention. One is the fear that I if I... Just ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> Same flight <laughs> flight <laughs> kicks in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, one point of contention is the fear that if I drop into where I'm most needed, I'll just keep being used forever ad infinitum. Just it'll go unnoticed. Yep. Even the fact that I'm there will go unnoticed and I'll just keep giving and giving and giving and I'll make no advancement. And at the end of the day, I won't even gain anything from it in terms of like a resume boost or whatever, because most of it was unnoticed because of the nature of the work. That's why it was needed to begin with because no one else wanted to do it, yep. that kind of thing. So that's one point. The second point is this kind of thing usually is spoken um, by people uh, so the people who say, well, you're not going to be able to do what you want to do in ministry all the time. You need to just tough it out and do what you need to do. That's often spoken by people who are doing exactly what they want to do in ministry. And so how would you go about saying that to someone without them receiving it? Like, oh, well, that's easy for you to say you're on the worship team or you are the youth pastor. Or you're, right, right, right. you're doing the thing. Uh, so how do you deal with those two points of contention? Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Uh, so I've got lots of thoughts. One of them is, uh, so point one, I'll answer point one first, then I'll go to point two. Point one, um, treasures in heaven, baby. That's all I got to say to that. No, that's not true. I mean, it is true. Yes. Um, so if you're serving and you're not being noticed and it doesn't feel like you're accomplishing anything, um, I will let you know that there have been some of the greatest Christians that have ever existed and have ever served God in great capacities who 99.99999% of everything that they've ever done was unnoticed, unwelcomed, unwanted. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking, I can't think of his name. He was a missionary in inland China for like decades 
who didn't win a single soul for Jesus in like 30 years of ministry. Oof. Right? Was his ministry a failure? Absolutely not. Right? Because the point of it, and this is what I, I think we think of. It's like the goals that we want versus the goals that God has are often two very different things. And we we often think of terms of success as, especially in ministry, as you know, winning souls or planting seeds and stuff like that. Well, I mean, and one, anything could be planting seeds. You never know what is planting a seed, first of all. And so it's like you could have wild success in a ministry that's going completely unnoticed and never know it, right? But that storing up in heaven is actually the, the crux to all of this, right? It's like you're not gaining any earthly reward. Guess what? That's even better because when you gain earthly reward, guess what you're not gaining? things in heaven, right? Jesus says, um, you know, when he talks about Pharisees who are, you know, preaching on the street corners and stuff like that, their reward is what they're getting here on earth, right? As opposed to things being unseen, things being not necessarily um, lifted up and praised. It's like, man, those are the things that really matter in the kingdom of heaven, right? The the things that go unseen. Um, to part two of that, it's like, yeah, that's easy for me to say. I'm a pastor. I get to preach yada 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 and it's like yeah but the vast majority of my ministry is things i don't want to not gifted in don't care for like do you know how many toilets i clean right do you know how often i'm fixing a toilet in my church do you know how often i'm down yeah. in the furnace room because my church's heat doesn't work do you know how yeah. much time i sit just doing paperwork <laughs> of Gosh. things i do not care about 90% of my day is spent on paperwork of things I do not care about. That's right? why youth ministry is great because we just we don't ever do any paperwork. I, man, that we sounds need wonderful. To. <laughs> we need to, but we just don't do it. We neglect that. And it's like, you know how many budget forms I sit in front of on a daily basis or a weekly basis? Maybe not daily basis, but it's like we don't think about those things for, you know, as a pastor. It's like he's great. He gets to sit up. People listen to him and it's like, one, people don't listen to me um, because none of you remember anything I've ever preached on. Uh, maybe you do. Uh, but two, like you don't see all of the work that I don't care for that is still necessary for the kingdom of God to happen. And it's my responsibility to do it. Right. And so I think we, we glorify these jobs that you don't realize sometimes have so much added extra things that go unaware un like no one praises me for the paperwork I do it's expected if I don't get it done I just get yelled at right as opposed to when I get it done I get praised it's like there's no this is not there's not a win in that there's just not losing right and yeah. sometimes there's scenarios where it's like there's no win but there is a not lose part of it and that happens in ministry all the time and it's probably also true of a lot of people in these perceived uh, desired roles that they have unachieved goals also. Like they're not really where they want to be either. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you get a, a oh, job that, you... that came out like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a little, little jipper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you land a job that you have been really uh, pursuing um, fervently and maybe like for a couple months you're satisfied, but then you have to set another goal and yep. then it's just like, okay, well I'm, I'm not there yet. And so even, even the people who seem like they have what they want, yeah. there's always something else that you could want. Right. And so it took me eight years to become an ordained Methodist pastor of submitting papers, going to boards, mm -hmm. um, having every piece of my ministry critiqued and looked at. And it's like, it takes time to do these, like, 
no one who gets where they're at just happened to get most people don't get there by pure luck or happenstance it's like usually there's a lot of work and effort that was put in behind the scenes and i think we trivialize that although sometimes. the powerball is 929 million dollars right now dang uh, I, well see the hard part i'm not allowed to bet as a methodist pastor i'll, I'll buy a scratcher for you thank you i appreciate Maybe that Actually, I don't think I can either as an AG pastor. But anyway, so wait, Michael, the, 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 could you rephrase the initial two questions for me? Because I, I think I ended up in my own head starting to answer a question that you didn't ask. Yeah, so. so the I imagine that when people hear these kinds of conversations, they think, well, yes, I see the need. I see the place where I oh, could but I'm gonna have sl- no upward slot advancement. into. Yeah, there's not going to be any upward advancement. There's not going to be any notice or thanks for what I'm doing. And I could just be stuck here in a circular a uh, hamster wheel of grind for the next 30 years and the only one who will notice is me that that's one fear the other fear is and also i think that com- coming with that first fear is just the the sense of irresponsibility that you're not actually pursuing the thing that you're designed to do mm-hmm. um you know I, I get that there is heavenly reward in putting chairs back and straightening them out sure but that might not be that person's calling and if they're just going to do that and they're going to do that out of a this out of like a sense of humility how, i mean they probably also start to feel like they're neglecting the thing that they're made to do maybe i might be wrong on that i don't think i am um the second thing would be um kind of what Caleb just addressed was say 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 you have someone who's in your ministry who really wants to be a youth pastor mm-hmm. and then you say to them as a youth pastor well, you don't really always get to do what you want to do in ministry. Um, you just kind of have to do what you have to do. How does that person not receive that as, oh, well, you're already a youth pastor. It's easy for you Got to it. say. Okay. Um, so for the for the first one about upward advancement, there's a, there's a Bible verse in Psalms 37. It's 23 through 25. It says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall for the Lord holds them by, their, by the hand. Um, and the idea behind this is that God is the meta narrative writer of our lives like what you are doing now whether you're 22 or 72 i think it's mostly for you know young adults but if you're 72 and you're listening to this like that there is some (laughs) there is yeah why but also no i'm just kidding uh there is there is uh, a sense that god is directing your life and writing the narrative and that he actively delights in the details and so even if you are in a position that you feel like is underutilizing you like you need, I think, to choose to actively say, I trust God with writing this narrative part of my life and not get so caught up in your own advancements. Um, so I'll go back to when I was a kids ministry guy for a while. I was part time. I was doing kids ministry, um, which is not a, a field I was very passionate about. And then I was part time waiting tables at a golf club. And a lot of my friends had full time jobs with vacation days and benefits and 401ks and health insurance. Yeah, like that and, sounds so nice. <laughs> yeah. And I was I was just there grinding tables, staying up to 1 a.m. serving rich people like cocktails. You know what I mean? Like I just I, I, I was doing that. And the tension within myself is to be like, is what I'm doing all for naught or am I in the wrong spot? Right. Am I just wasting my time? Am I missing something? But the lesson that God taught me is that ultimately he's the narrative writer of my life and I need to trust him with the process because the truth is you may be setting up chairs for a while, right? You may be doing that, but that's okay because that doesn't necessarily make someone's ministry better than yours or they're farther ahead than you. If you start thinking comparatively, like, oh, they're where I want to be or this isn't fair because I don't have this, then I think you end up struggling with contentment, which is actively a choice. So I would say learn to be content in your circumstances and trust that God's the writer. As far as the 
the second question, which was like, how can you say that? Well, I can say that because I was in kids ministry for five years. I can also say that because like actively, if each of us at this table were to talk about our jobs in ministry, you look at us from the outside and say, you have the job I want. You're a youth pastor at a big church. Like that's what I want to do. And I'm out here like, you know, maybe serving on the youth team of my home church or something like that. Right. But I can say that because even though I have a, a, a right, like the right job, there's still a lot of things that are, that I could talk about uh, when it comes to like sacrificing or not having things the exact way that I want it. So before I was at Summit, I was at my home church working my dream job with my dream staff that I hired, right? With my dream team, I loved everything about it. And then I got engaged and I had a choice. Do I move to Indiana to be with my soon to be wife or do I stay here doing this? And for me, the question was like, well, I'm gonna go, even though this is all my dream stuff on paper, I'm gonna go be with my wife because that's more of a priority than than any any ministry job that I could do, right? right. And so it becomes a system of values. And again, same contentment issue with me. I could sit and be like, man, I got this at my old church. I got that at this and I blah, 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 blah. But then that just becomes a contentment issue. And it's like, what are you, you're robbing God of the ministry he wants to do through you actively in your position by not being content. And God can't use someone who has that attitude issue. If you're feeling discontent, it's probably a sign that you need to repent and choose that actively and let God start to move through you. And I don't know if we talked about this last week. I don't remember who I talked with, but you know, you, some of you might be thinking I'm in this crappy job and I don't think it's what God wants for me in my life. Um, and God's thinking, I'm giving you this job because it allows you to pursue the things that I want on top of it. And I, I use the example of Paul, right? So Paul, great apostle, went around the world preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what he did as a job? Made tents. Do you think that's the best use of his skills, talents, gifts, and everything as a as a Jewish scholar, as a Pharisee, right? He was a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. Do you think making tents has the best use of his skills? No, right? But he did that so that he could actually pursue the things that God is calling you to, right? And I think sometimes we think that those things have to be conflated into one thing, right? My job has to be my calling. Um, and it's like, I don't think that's always the case necessarily. Sometimes you just have a job and that job allows you to pay your bills, support your family. Um, and then from that, you're able to then pursue the things that God has called you to do. And maybe that's just being a great dad or mom. Maybe that's serving at your church. Maybe that's, I don't know what it is, right? But they don't always have to be one and the same. I think we look at pastors and they are kind of one and the same because your job is your calling. You're called to be a pastor and that happens to be your job. But those yeah. aren't, those aren't, that's not a mutually exclusive thing, right? Sometimes you work a job um, and you might think, I'm a mechanic, I'm working this blue collar job, but that's not really my calling in life. Um, And instead it's like, yeah, that might be true, but God has something else for you and you're just using this job to support yourself so that you can pursue um, that ministry. Yeah, so I'm seeing two things that... um, are like they they scale no matter what your advancement is um contentment issues and hard choices like you're gonna have so you have to watch out for those no matter how far you go and that's one of the reasons why it's bad news to develop contentment issues is because you know no no matter what job you have you'll always be discontent you'll want the next thing and it's the same thing goes for cars and houses and in really terrible situations, right. spouses. And that's why I said, be careful, uh, you know, about jumping from a frying pan into the fire, because I think contentment is what usually does that. It's like, you might think your job sucks now, 
And it's like, it could be a lot worse and you just don't know it. You think that the next thing is what's going to be so good for you. And it's like, not all the time, you know, be careful with those types of things in all things, honesty. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we've talked a lot about, um, what things you can do for the kingdom of God and how you can live for the kingdom of God. I want to know, does Jesus hold some people in higher regard than others based on how they lived their lives? Or is everyone who believes in him considered equal? Um, yes and yes. Is that, that's kind of where I land. On I this. know that yes those kind yes. of are opposites. Like the questions lead to opposite answers, but I think that the answer is yes. And yes, it, it with a caveat of, I'm not, I don't know if regards is like God regards. I don't know if I'd use that word, but here's what I want to say is everybody equal in the household of God as children of God who believe in him. Yes right? We're all baptized believers. We're all part of the holy priesthood. Pastors are no better than late, like people under them. Um, in fact, sometimes people under them are well above where the pastors are. Um, so, you know, equality is very much part of the kingdom of heaven and anyone who believes is saved, right? So at the end of the day, like that, that's baseline. Everyone hits it. We're good. Now, this is why I don't know if I like the word regards, but read that first part of the question again. Um, so does Jesus hold some people in higher regard than others based on how they lived their lives? Or is everyone who believes in him considered equal? Yeah. I don't know if he holds people in higher regards. I don't know the mind of God well enough to tell you that. I do know that he uses some people more than others, right? And so if, if God's sitting up there saying, who can I use? He chooses some people over others based on how they've been faithful to him in the past, right? It's like those who have been faithful with little will be faithful, will be given much, right? And so uh, this is the the um, the parable of the the servant where the the master gives a bunch of his servants some money, um, and the first servant uh, was given ten pieces of gold, and the and the master goes away, and the servant doubles it, and when the master comes back, he says, "Hey, I've doubled your money," and the master is super happy with him. Um, the next servant, he gives five pieces of gold. He doubles it. He now has 10 pieces of gold. Master comes back and says, hey, I've doubled your gold. Um, the third servant uh, takes his two pieces of gold and buries it in the sand. And when the master comes back, he gives back the two pieces of gold and said, hey, I didn't lose any of your thing. And the master is upset with him um, because he didn't faithfully serve the master in the way that was expected, right? Um, and he says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. All of the parables are like, this is what the kingdom of heaven, like the kingdom of heaven is like a master who has some servants, yada, yada, yada. So I don't know if regards is the right word. Um, does the master love that servant any less? No, because what you do, you can't, you're not doing anything to make God love you any less or more, right? And that's what I mean by the equal part. God loves you as a believer. He loves you no less, no more because his love is not contingent on your works, Right. But your usefulness in the kingdom of heaven, based on your faithfulness to the work that God has given you, does have effects in that, right? So if God says, I want you to do all these things, and I never do all of these things, and Michael said, and God tells you, Michael, to do all these things, and you do all of those things, the next time God, like something needs done, which one of us is going to be given the opportunities to do those things? It's like, you are, because you were faithful what you were given before, and I was not, right? And so the... And you're better than, because of it, discerning what God is up to and then pursuing even more of what God is up to. And I'm worse at now because of it, discerning what God is up to. So I'm less likely 
So our actions do dictate it to some degree. Um, and does God love you more less because I didn't do it or love you more because you did do it? No, but your usefulness in the kingdom of heaven is contingent. Um, like it, you can choose to be a harvester in the field with the rest of Christians or you cannot, and that's up to you. God can't make you be a harvester. Um, does he want you to be? Yes. Um, but ultimately that is up to you. So maybe a good way of thinking about it is God is no favor of persons. So he doesn't, he doesn't actually favor anyone more so than the other, yep. but that he does account for our work accurately. So I think about this. And not, like in, not in a salvific way. Right. No. Yeah. This is all uh, post-salvation. Think of this post-salvation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So this is kingdom of heaven. We are not works righteousness people in case you're wondering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so one example that is coming into my mind is at the beginning, towards the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is talking about the law and he, he talks about how, you know, if anyone annuls the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, they would be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And yeah. those who teach the full counsel of God will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So there yeah. seems to be some inequality in terms of the recognition of each person's work. Right. Um, and so that's not, I don't think that that's inequality in inherent inequality. No, it's just a recognition of you did a, this person didn't do a, and I'm accounting for right, it right. accurately. Right. And so, yeah. And I, you know, I had mentioned earlier about the, the treasures in heaven. It's like some people are going to have more treasures than others. Um, so is there inequality in that sense? Yes. Now at the end of the day, what do we do with those treasures? According to revelations, throw them at the we feet. throw them yeah. at the feet of Jesus. So there's equality in the sense that at the end of the day, none of those treasures matter because you're going to be in the presence of God. But at the other hand, it's like they are recognition, like you said, of what you did do or didn't do based on your willingness to be faithful to God. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so this probably be the last one. This might take a because it might take a little bit to unpack. Um, I think we have time. What is the difference between this? We're going to shift gears here. Um, what is the difference between the university and the church, and should there be a difference? So this this came to my mind as I was thinking about like you know the the university being born of the church, and I think if you go back far enough, a lot of the people who are uh, you know, like genius level industrialists today probably would have been working for the church back then. Uh, oh I, yeah. I think it's because I think the reason is because the power differential is so much different today yeah. they tend to go work for like tech companies instead of the church right um and we can say whatever about that but uh i guess the question is the university has a critical role in society i think if we just eliminated them we'd be in a bad spot correct um but we also don't want them to go too far off the rails in terms of where they started and so I want to know, like, what's the relationship between the church and the university? Should there be a relationship? Should the church start functioning more like universities? Or should universities start functioning more like churches? Um, yes, yes, no, no, um, to all of those. <laughs> Yeses and nos to everything you asked. Uh, I do, so it is really important to look at the history of universities, and I, I don't think most college students think back to, like, why am I in why am I going to IUP right now? And it's like, because at one point in time, um, in the, gosh, when was some of the first universities started? 1100s? Probably? I don't know. Someone fact check me on that. Uh, a long time ago, hundreds of years ago, someone said, we need an apparatus to train people 
Um, and they started with training pastors, most like 99% of them, right? It's like universities were trained to train pastors and train teachers, right? Um, and so you went to university um, to end up as a pastor, to end up as a professor, which a lot of people do these days. So that actually hasn't changed. Or to end up in some sort of teaching capacity or or medical capacity. Everything was very like mm. pragmatically based. Can I ask you something here? Yeah. So does that mean that the pastoral ministry was considered part of the intelligentsia? Because that's what it looks like to me. And oh, yeah. I actually think that that's a good thing. I don't think that, I think that holding uh, pastoral ministry in equally high regard to something like professorship or something like yeah. uh, being a doctor yeah, that should be the case. Yeah, well, and that's why. Um, so in uh, so like in my uh, graduate studies, um, the divinity school and the law school are called professional uh, degrees instead of. Te- I mean, they're master's degrees, but they're technically like professional degrees because you're doing them for a specific profession. So like a JD, um, for example, which is what lawyers get, um, is a professional degree. Um, it is a master's level degree, but it is not a master's. And uh, technically, I mean, master's of divinity has the word master's in it, but it's a professional degree, right? Um, and, and that's because for such a long time, most things in the universities were for profession specifically that is helpful to the society at large. I think there are lots of degrees that probably aren't helpful to society at large. Um, but, and we've just become more fine-tuned in some of them. It's like, okay, so it used to be you were just a doctor and you did everything, right? Because doctors, one doctor would do, in theory, everything. Like you didn't have specificity of like a, a pediatrician versus an orthopedic surgeon versus a PA versus, okay, within that, even in the medical field, it's like, okay, what do you do with like athletic trainers? They're definitely on the medical side. They're not in like the law side of things, but they're not doctors. And it's like, we've just fine tuned this to like the nth degree. Um, and that's just part of knowledge. But so there's two parts to this, I think. One, on the one hand, it's like, I don't think it's a bad thing for pastors um, to be part of, like you said, the intelligentsia. The problem when that becomes when they sit in ivory towers um, right. and look down and the rest of the world is quite pedestrian, which I think pastors uh, have a habit of doing anyway. Um, like, I think it's just part of the, like, that's a, a negative byproduct that can easily happen for pastors because it's like, we, we sometimes will see ourselves and this is just horrible. horrible. I think pastors probably more than anybody else deal with pride issues. If I had to bet, right. I I can speak for myself more than any other profession. Uh, that's that's, a hot take. It's interesting. I'm willing to bet that most pastors probably deal with pride. Yeah, I, I've often thought of pastoral ministry, especially stage pastoral ministry, as like a bug light for narcissists. And yeah, it's like yeah, that's, that's, that's like good to think about it that way. Too, but yeah, yeah politicians, any public, any public right. Yeah. right, right, right. So pride issues are probably really high. So the the danger of including like really intelligent, highly decorated with degrees pastors is like it just makes that the uh, the chance for you ending up in an ivory tower above everyone else is very high, and you have to be very careful of that. Um. The negative side of that is if you don't have somebody who's doing that, um, like what are you losing? What are you as someone who follows that pastor losing in instruction and in teaching because they themselves haven't been instructed and taught, teached? Wow. 
I'm, I'm, I'm clearly not drinking. part of the intelligentsia. <laughs> oh, man. Taught. Um, and it's like, that. that's why seminaries are, you know, I don't think they're the end-all be-all for pastors, but some sort of training um, that is longer than maybe a week or two is probably should be a requirement for most pastors. Because is it a calling? Yes. Um, should you just walk into it just because you've been called? Um, with no training, no expertise, anything like that. No, that's any job is like that, right? The, there's an expected level of training, and it's like, because uh, I mean, uh, think of it this way: I pastor um, some older congregations. My one church, everybody is like above the age of seventy. If I wasn't trained in a seminary in a Bible college to uh, to have knowledge about the Bible, to have knowledge about theology, to have knowledge about Christian hist- Christian history, what do I offer seventy year olds? If you lop all of that out, what do I offer people who have been Christians for three times my life? A replacement grandchild to bake cookies. That's exactly right. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Right. And so it's like we have to be thinking in some of those terms like my job is to equip the saints. If I have nothing to equip them with, then I am not serving as a pastor. Right. Um, And that's why I think the the university can be very important. I think I got a little sidetracked. I apologize. Um do I think the church and university should function in the same roles? No, not really, though I think they have overlap. I think the churches churches should be teaching and instructing and having classes that even you might have. Like, we should be teaching people um, about some of the things that even a university instructs people on. I think it would be great if churches held, like, logic and philosophy classes for their church members to say... Um, you know, how do I think about the world more broadly? How do I engage in politics? It's like philosophy and logic classes would be great for that. You got to have someone who can teach that. And that's part of that. You know, I don't think we have a lot of people that could do that. Um, Is it good to have churches instructing people about how to be medically healthier? Yes. Does a university also do that? Yes. Right. And so I, I think there are overlaps. I think it's good that they're distinct entities because at the end of the day, the church its role is to stand at the gates of hell so that they can't prevail. The role of the university is not, has nothing to do with that, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. um, and so I think it is important to keep those distinctions. IUP's job is not to stand at the gates of hell so that they cannot prevail. Um, nor nor would we want it to, right? Like that would be a really bad idea. <laughs> um, Depending on the weekend that you're, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> IUP is going through, they might even be down there partying a little bit. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's not what we want. Um, there is only one entity, and that's like the bride of Christ that should be fulfilling that role. But have we given some things over to the university that maybe the church should have held on to more, um, or should pick up again that they aren't? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. All right, that's going to have to be where we land the plane on this one, guys. Um, Tuesday, this Tuesday, well, I'm not going to tell you about this Tuesday because it'll be Friday when you're listening to it, so you've missed it. It was trivia at Commonplace Coffee. It was it was, it was great. probably going to be a blast. It was a blast. <laughs> Kendall would make me re-record this. <laughs> yeah, but, but Kendall's not Kendall's here. Kendall's not so. here. This is what you get, Kendall. Yeah, get mission wrecked Kendall I don't know yeah so (laughs) how dare you serve God (laughs) (laughs) next Tuesday uh 7 27 p.m at the Ohio room at the hub at IUP we will be having a unite 
And we're continuing our essentials series through the book of Galatians. And, you know, there's a lot of really good feedback about, um, we did like a stripped down version of service for the first uh, essentials piece. And a lot of people really appreciate that, appreciated that. It'll probably be more like back to normal for the next one. Yep. But um, you don't want to miss it. Uh, This is really good stuff. Thank you guys for listening to the ULOFT podcast. And we will see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the ULOFT podcast. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to it. Also, come out and join us for a Unite every Tuesday at 7.27 p.m. This is a time of music, friends, and important teaching. You don't want to miss it. You can learn more about Unites, as well as everything else we do, by visiting unitediup.com. Thank you all for hanging out with us, and we will see you in the next episode.